0: Um, for those of you that uh, maybe are catching up, we're, we're in the book of Joshua. Okay, In the book of Joshua, we've been working our way through uh, what we've called a life lived for God. And what's been so beautiful about this is we've gone through different sections of the scripture and God's revealed different specific things. In chapter number eight, when we got there, we actually started a series that was called Setting the Stage for Victory. Today is going to be the final message in that series. It's going to be a seven message series in that. What we've seen is we've really been applying the tactics that God used to do Defeat the city of Ai, and we've been applying them to the internal struggle within our flesh and our spirit. Now, we have learned through time and over our last few weeks how to fight the flesh. We fight the flesh through the power of God. We've, We've addressed how it is we are to overcome the works of the flesh, which is through the word of God. And then last week we had a message which is called the spoils of war, and what we saw was the way that God loves to reward the faithfulness of His people. In verses 27 and 28 last week, we saw that uh, aspect of God rewarding them. And in verse number 28, there was something interesting that stood out, and it was this. In verse 28, He says this: "And Joshua burnt Ai and made it an heap. Notice this word forever." even a desolation unto this day. So the Lord is saying that he's going to completely wipe off the map, the city of Ai, defeating it once and for all. Now, this is a historic event. But understand, it's important that we understand this historic backdrop and we understand the fact that God is correlating this Old Testament truth to a New Testament concept that he wants us to understand. Recognize, we've got to see this. If we do not recognize it, we're going to miss out. Because recognize what God does in the Old Testament is he shows us pictures. He shows us types that help us to see things in a different way. If we miss that, what happens is our Old Testament study becomes dry and a dusty walk through human history. And all we do is we see specific events and we go, yeah, okay, I can get something out of that. But if we're not able to see what God's trying to do through the pictures and types, we miss the, the fact that this thing can come to life. The Old Testament can jump off the page and become relevant to us even today. And so last week, as we discussed this principle and concept of this final defeat of AI, what we realized is the fact that what was God doing is he's pointing to the final victory over our flesh. Now, that's when we lead this world, when we graduate from this life. That's, one of the, that's a preacher term when you go to a funeral. We don't really talk about it, about it being a death. It's a graduation day graduating from this life to the next, leaving this sinful body behind. Who's excited about that? Amen. Amen. Goodness gracious. Final, complete victory. And what we've seen is what God's been doing is we've been comparing how God orchestrated this final victory against this uh, historic city with the picture of our final victory over our flesh, And we took note last week of the fact that what was God doing? He was rewarding the faithfulness of his people. They had faithfully done what he'd asked of them. They had come through a time where they were unfaithful. When it came to Ai initially, they had trusted in themselves and they had failed miserably. So they had this, this debacle that they'd gone through. But then what happened? They faithfully followed God and they started doing exactly what he said. And what we saw last week was he blessed them with the spoils of the city. He gave them the spoils of the city, and that they gave them material wealth, and it's a wonderful thing. But listen, that wasn't the greatest thing, the thing of greatest value that he gave them. What he gave them was of the greatest value was that final victory. Notice he used the word forever, forever. And can I tell you, when we leave this life, finally leave this life by way of the rapture or the grave, it will be a victory over the flesh that is forever, praise God. So as we're setting the stage for victory, we're looking at that ultimate victory, right? That's where we're going. What we see is that God's been laying out steps for us that we're supposed to be taking part in, the daily part of the way we live our life, in understanding the preparation for that final victory. Because no, that victory is coming by way of the death or by way of the rapture. We are all, if you're a born-again child of God, that victory is coming. And though that's wonderful news, it's awesome to know that that coming day is, is on the horizon. But we have to be careful that we not lose sight of why it is we're here now. Right? God has a mission, a purpose, and a plan. He saved us. He redeemed us so that we and our life could impact the world with the gospel. Listen, material blessings are awesome. We live in America. Boy, do we know about material blessings. Go travel around this world and go to places where people have less. Our poor people here are rich everywhere else on the planet. It's unbelievable how blessed we are. And listen, it's wonderful to know of the coming victory that we have. And we, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that while we are here, there is work to be done. Because the distractions of stuff and the distractions of what is to come can keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing right now. And what we're seeing in these messages is the faithfulness of God's people. God's rewarding their faithfulness. And it's supposed to be mirroring us. God is looking for faithful people, and this is the struggle of the church in our day and age, is to be faithful to God. We are incredibly faithful to ourselves, and unfortunately, very unfaithful to God, traditionally. So what we see as we pick back up on our message is the fact that this, after this story of the defeat of Ai, what's happened is the city has been completely destroyed. Okay, it's done. The population has been completely eliminated and all that is left is the king of AI and he must be dealt with once and for all. So in this final message of setting the stage for victory, this message is called the old man must die. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, God, I know that uh, you have spoken to me. I have no doubt. And, Lord, I am asking you, I am begging you to speak through me. Lord, I can mess this all up if I get in the way. But, Lord, if you will just take charge, Uh, let my stumbling tongue get out of the way and set my mind aside that I might just follow the Spirit of God, you directing God. And, Lord, speak to us that we might hear directly from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 8, we're only going to be in verse number 29. 29. It says, And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until even tide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. Now, historically, we don't know the name of the king of Ai, but we do know some things about him just from what we've heard. We understand that he was the complete and utter authority over all of Ai and all of its people. We know that he was committed to his city. We know that, listen, he was confident in the strength of his men and confident in the strength of the city. And we also know that he was willing to boldly defend it. In Joshua eight fourteen, it says this, And it came to pass, when the king of Ai saw it, when he saw Joshua, it says, They hasted and rose up early, and the, men of, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle. Notice this, he and all his people. He went out with a confidence to willing to risk himself at a time appointed before the plain. But he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. So he's confidently fighting with his men. What we also see is the fact that he underestimates God's people. And he also underestimates God. Notice what it says there at the end of verse 14. He's so confident. He left the city, the door open, and he left it defenseless. But he wist not that there were liars and ambush against him behind the city. It turns out that his confidence was, in fact, overconfidence. And that overconfidence would be his undoing. Because recognize this. Once the city fell because of that ambush... The forces of Ai, under his leadership, collapsed. They fell apart, and he was taken captive and brought before Joshua a biblical picture of Jesus, Joshua 8.23. And the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. So once he's in custody, what happens? We know the entire population of the city is wiped out, leaving the king as the sole survivor. This once powerful, confident ruler of Ai, listen, is now powerless powerless as he's literally standing before the mighty hand of God being pictured in Joshua. How amazing. And we see this and we go, wow, what a, what a remarkable story from history. And man, it certainly points to the incredible power of God, his willingness to fight for his people. And that's awesome, man, because God does fight for his people. I can tell you, listen, if you're in the battle right now, he's willing to fight for you. Right. Let him take the lead. And we can get great lessons from what we just heard. But listen, listen. Remember, the Old Testament is a picture book of the Bible. And over the last few weeks, we've been noticing that this battle, this entire thing, has been mirroring the battle that takes place within us between the flesh and the spirit, between doing doing what's godly and doing what's ungodly, the battle within ourselves. Is anyone familiar with this battle from personal experience? Yeah. Yeah. We wake up and we wake up in the battle. We can dream and wake up and literally be in the, in the midst of battle as we wake up. This is the battle that's taking place and this aspect of struggle back and forth. What we find with AI is the power of AI, the, the influence of AI. We might say the will of AI is its king. He rules the city. And when we think about our flesh, We think about the ruler of our flesh. You know what? It's our will. It's our will. That's that's our king. Paul describes that will as the old man in Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 22 through 24. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation who you used to be, the old man, which is, listen to what the old man is, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That's the old man. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So this is where the battle, for will, battle of wills, takes place. It's here, right. it's in the mind, man. Every day, it's in the mind. Mm-hmm. Listen, how many of you have ever been in an argument with yourself? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes I'm sitting in the car, and you're like, you know, people are watching you, and you're like, you know, I know. I mean, I know I should do it, but I'm not. Gonna, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to. And you're talking to yourself. You're like a crazy person. Because there's literally a battle taking place within your own mind. We recognize that and we go, wow, you know, that, that's true. That is, This is the will, the battle of the wills. Notice what he says next in verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. He saved us for the purpose that we, be, that we would be righteous and that we would be holy. Is anyone here like me struggle with being righteous and holy every single day? Yeah. It's not easy. Because you know what? From experience what we've learned is the old man has a very strong will. He knows what he wants and he's going he's gonna to get it. We know that he walks in lockstep with the ruler of this world. He desires those things which are wicked. Our flesh, listen, It gets its marching orders from our will. And listen, when our sinful will is submitted to Satan and his influence, there literally are almost no limits to the wickedness that our flesh will indulge in. People that are born again children of God can say the most horrific things. They can do the most horrific things. They can think the most horrific things not because they don't have the spirit of God but because they've allowed that spirit of antichrist to guide and direct their life and when you sell yourself out to the flesh it will destroy you and everyone you love he hates humanity he hates us and we've got to be conscious of this because guess what we are we just heard it we are a new man a new man and until we graduate from this planet, unfortunately, guess what? who we got to deal with? The old man. He is still here. And that old man, like I said, he desperately hates God. And he desperately hates us. Not because of who we are, because he doesn't really care about us, but it's the Spirit of God that dwells within us that he hates. It's the righteousness that we're trying to live. It's that holiness that we're trying to display. That's what he's trying to stop. So here we see the flesh... Man, it's rearing, it's ready to fight. It's the will of our flesh, the old man. And you see, it all comes down to this. It is nothing more than just a battle of wills. Will I please my flesh or will I please my spirit? Listen, it's God's will versus ours. It's amazing that we can contend with the God of the universe, but you know what? Free will is a gift God gave us, and you know what we can do? We can fight God with it. And amazingly, people deal with it every single day. When we submit to our flesh, our flesh can contend with God. It is amazing. But remember, the king of Ai, what is he? He determined what the city did and how they did it. And our will, if not surrendered to God. You know what it does? It, tells, it determines what our flesh does and how it does it. And so with that perspective, let's read that verse again. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. So the king is hung on a tree. Our first point is we need to crucify our enemy. Now, what I need you to know is in verse number 29, this is not crucifixion. Crucifixion is not going to be invented for 800 years. This is not crucifixion. But can I tell you this? The terminology that we're going to see proves something about it. Notice this. When we see referencing Christ's death, let's go to Acts 5, verse 30. The wording is, hanged on a tree. That's what it says. 530 says this, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Acts ten thirty nine says this, we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Galatians 3.13 says, this, "...Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree." Both Luke and Paul are giving us something. They're referencing Deuteronomy, chapter number 21. Notice what it says in verses 22 and 23. "...And if a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, and he, be, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree..." His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance. And what this reveals to us is through these New Testament references is that guess what God's doing? The very same pattern of creating pictures for us for future events in the Old Testament is being laid out for us here. He is very specific and very purposeful to make sure that the wording is exactly the same. So even though this is not crucifixion, can I tell you, this pictures crucifixion. That's what this is telling us. So here we have the king of Ai hanged on a tree. And here we have our old man, the ruler of our flesh. And guess what we're supposed to do? Hang him on a tree. Galatians 5 verses 19 through 24. Listen to this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of our flesh. When our our old man is in charge, these are the things that he's going to indulge in. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, listen, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Listen, this is the battle of the wills. This is the battle that's taking place within us. In verse number 24, listen how it ends. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And what's being pictured for us with this king is the spiritual crucifixion of our flesh as we submit our will, our old man to God to be crucified. And we go, wow. Is that, is that what it's really saying? I mean, that's what it sounds like. Luke 9.23, Jesus speaking. Listen to what he says. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What's the purpose of a cross? It has only one purpose, crucifixion. It is a place of death. No one survives the cross, just so you know. It is a place of death. And Jesus is telling them to take up their crosses. So he's saying, look, I'm going up on Golgotha's hill to kill my flesh, and I'm telling you to do the same thing. Now, that sounds good. Okay, yeah, let's kill our flesh. Great. How do you do that exactly? Right? Anybody else thinking that? Yeah, what's beautiful, guess what? The book of James gives us an insight on exactly how this is done. Let's look at James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Okay? So first we have to do is humble ourselves before God. What is humbling ourselves? It's realizing who we really are. We can convince ourselves we're good people, I can look at the world around me and see all the debauchery that's taking place and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. But if we were to take all of the thoughts that have crossed our minds, the wicked things that we've thought, the wicked things that we've said, and we were to write them all out in a book, wow. We go, man, I'm I'm not, I'm not too righteous. Man, I'm a mess. It would humble us to realize our failures. And the more we know God and the more we see who he really is, the more we realize who we are. There is a great distance between us, between righteousness and our humanity. So we're to come humbly before God. Notice verse number seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now that just rolls off the tongue. It sounds pretty simple. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. But how do we submit ourselves to God? Let me give you a scenario. What if... In the morning when we woke up, before, as my wife would say, before our feet hit the floor, what if we were to lay there and we said, you know what, Lord, today would you take my mind, my thoughts, my dreams, my aspirations, God, I submit my mind to you, that you would guide the way that I think that you would guide the way that I would respond, that you would allow me to see this world the way that you see it. God, help me this morning to just give you my mind, my thought life. God, you take charge. Help me, Lord, to resist these things of the flesh and submit to your spirit. What if we said, hey, God, you know, before I leave this bed, my heart, God, let me today not be contentious, not be angry, not to be selfish, Help me today to be selfless. Help me to have a servant's heart today. Help me look at people that are in need instead of thinking of myself, always making things about me because guess what? That's what we do. We're selfish. What if today I could be selfless? God, what if today my heart wasn't all about fulfilling what it is that I want and the way the world affects me, but what if it was about about how it affects you? What if I had that broken heart for the world? What if I could see people the way you see them? God, would you you take my heart? Lord, would you take my hands? As I function in the world today, as I interact with other people, God, would you use these hands that they might minister to other people? That they not be shaken in anger, but that they would reach out to comfort those that are in pain. Would you use these hands? Would you use my feet, my walk today? God, can I surrender my walk? Did I not decide where I'm going to go? But the Lord, you set my path and help me just to be listening to you. Guide me, Father. Use my life. What if we did that every day? How much of a difference can we make in the lives of other people? How much more power would the Spirit have over our life than our flesh? Because I can tell you, if you start looking at politics and you start reading all the garbage on the news, pour that garbage into your head, guess what? You won't be surrendering your flesh. You'll be fortifying it for the fight that you're going to do in your own power. But that's not how we win. See, all these victories... They've all come from God. Then notice this. He says, resist the devil. So once we've, once we've literally humbled ourselves before God, now that we've submitted ourselves to God, I don't have to go fight. All it says that I have to do is resist. Well, I mean, this is resist. Isn't it? I'm just resisting. I'm, just, I'm not falling prey to it, right? Because the devil, our flesh is going to try to get us in. It's gonna try to, there's going to be things that are going to come, and we're going to, uh, I can react. But my job is not to give it a place. My job is simply to resist it. And what does it say? It says, and he will flee from you. So instead of me having to fight, God will fight my battle. He'll deal with my enemy. All I need to do is be submitted and be surrendered to him. Come humbly before God. So here we are. We're humble. We're submitted. We're resisting evil. Notice next, verse 8, draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. And what does it say? If you'll do that, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So he's telling us, look, you know what we need to do? We need to draw close to God. Do you want to know who God is? You want to understand who his heart is? Guess where you go? You go to his word. you got people that say, oh, I love God, I love God. But guess what? They do not love his word, which means they're a liar, because guess what? You cannot love God and not love his word. If you know you love someone, I want to hear my wife's voice. If she has something to tell me, I want to hear it. Guess what? Because I love her. I want to hear what you have to say, because I love you. But listen, if I said, look, I don't want you uh, to save your trouble for somebody else. Not a lot of love in that. And what happens, we want to go out and we want to hear from the world, but we don't want to hear from God. There's a problem with our heart. So listen, what do we do? We draw close to God and he draws close to us, right? And then it says, what is this? Cleanse your hands. Cleanse. Guess what the word does? It cleans us. It wipes away impurities in our life as we surrender to the precepts of God's word. And then the last one, what it says? It says, look, the last part, what does he say there? Purify your hands, you sinners, ye double-minded. Double-minded. Set your mind and your affections on me. If you have something in your life that consumes you, it is a God to you. It is. It can be our phones. It can be media of any sort. It can be our children. Who knows? A hobby? It can consume us. So we're supposed to set him at the very top. Verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And people here are saying, what does that mean? What is he talking about? You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you need to see sin the way God sees sin. Listen to what it says. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. The things that you used to think were funny in your flesh... Those dirty jokes that used to just to entertain you, now you see them the way God sees them. You go, you know what, I don't want it. I, I, nah, I don't want to hear that. And the things that we used to be entertained by, the things that used to fulfill our flesh, they should break our hearts now. Because we see things the way God does. We see it through spiritual eyes instead of eyes of flesh. And then number 10, or verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. God bless you. Notice this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. In order to be in someone's sight, you need to be in their proximity. Right? He's talking about a relationship with God where you can look into the eyes of your Savior because you're walking with Him. Because you're surrendered to Him. Because you're submitted to Him. Because you've drawn close to Him, it says. And He's saying, in the sight of the Lord. And what will He do? He will lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. You don't have to fight the fight. You can surrender to God and let Him fight for you. Again and again and again and again, we see Scripture that proves this to us. And there are people in this room that have testimonies of how God did what they could not do, brought them through hardships and adversities. And it's only, it only God. It's beautiful. He will enable us to live out the very things that He wants us to accomplish if we'll surrender our will to his. And we stop trying to drive our intentions, our goals, the things that we've chosen out of our lives, and we allow God to set us on the course that He would give us to take. I can promise you, if we will, if we'll experience what God has for us, it's so much better than we could have ever dreamed up for ourselves. Because God knows what's best for us. And listen, though, Through surrendering ourselves to God, we crucify our enemy and we set the stage for victory. But there's another detail. Notice what it says next in verse number 29. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide, as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded they should take his carcass down from the tree. Now we go back to Deuteronomy 21. It explains to us why they did this. We understand the fact that there was a reason. It was to protect the land from being cursed. Deuteronomy says 22, and 23 says this, and if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that Hanged on a tree, on a tree is a curse of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so in protecting and honoring what it is that God's given them, what do they do? They take heed to his warnings and they follow his instructions into, down to the finest detail. And what we find is the fact that, listen, partial obedience is still disobedience. They did everything God asked them and he blessed them for it. Listen, we should absolutely listen to the warnings that God gives us in our Christian lives, but we should be following the instructions that he gives us as well so that we can be fine, finally establish what it is to find the success, to succeed in what God's called us to be. Listen, he's telling them what it takes to succeed and he's told us how to as well. He's pictured it for us. He's shown us what we're supposed to do. But see, it's next what Joshua does. This is our second point. We only have two points. The second point is this: never forget God's victories. Verse 29 continues. And cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. Are you guys with me today? Amen. I feel like I'm in here and y'all are all going, I feel like I'm speaking it's like you speak. If you're ever talking, like you ever talk to somebody you're speaking another language, and you're like, that's what I feel like, I'm speaking another language and y'all are all going, okay, crazy guy, keep on going. Okay, y'all are with me, yes? yes. yes. All right, a, a, a yes, yes? Yes, yes. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay, here we go. Okay. Alright, because this is a good one. This is a good one. This is an exciting one. Here we go. Alright, so we see here this heap of stones. We see that he's to be cast at the gate. This is telling us the body of the king is to be thrown in the threshold of the gate of the city. Now, the gate of the city, that is the main entry point into the city. So what this means is no one is going to be able to go into the ruins of Ai without walking past the dead body of this defeated king. It says a great heap of stones. Now, What's interesting is a heap of stones serves as a monument to God's victory over this city. Now, certainly that is very significant. It's significant to remember the power of what God's done, to recognize and see that that's there. But there's another body, which is interesting, that's just nearby, Mm -hmm. that just happens to be under a great heap of stones. You remember Achan? Joshua chapter 7, verse 26. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day, said the Lord. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor, unto this day. So the, word is vir- the words are virtually identical. We see a great heap of stones raised over him unto this day. Now, do you think it's a, just a bizarre coincidence that they happen to be almost the same wording? I can tell you from my study of the word of God that it's no coincidence. God specifically picks his words because he's trying to tell us something. And what he's telling us here, you know what? Each monument, each one of these monuments, they are, look just like they are to serve as memorials, but different things. Recognize, remember Achan's story. Achan's story is a story of failure. This is where the Israelites failed before God, where their pride blinded them to the hidden sin, and caused them, listen, to be defeated at Ai. They went there in their own strength, and they were defeated. But see, while at the same time, yes, it's pointing to their failure, but guess what it also represents? The lessons learned, right? The repentant heart, the restoration of God's people. So when the Israelites would see these stones, yes, yes, they would remember that Achan is buried there in the Valley of Acor, the Valley of Trouble, by the way. And they would be humbled by their failure, no doubt. Remembering how far God had brought them. Recognizing where they were and where God had brought them to be. So not only would they be encouraged because of that, but also the steps that they had taken to get right with him. So they're seeing where God had taken them to a path. But you know what it also tells us? It reminds them of God's loving Forgiveness, that he would take them from that broken place and restore them. He brought them, listen, from arrogant and prideful to humble and faithful. This monument to Achan points to all of those things. They remember their failure, God's love, and the restoration that's represented in that place. And when we consider the forgiveness of God in our lives, listen, understand this, the attitude these Israelites would have, I can understand it myself. I can think back to failures in my life, monuments in my life, moments in my life that I will never, ever forget. Can I tell you this? When I look back at my history in my Christian life, there's, there are some big ones that really, really stand out of how I allowed myself because of my pride and because of my arrogance to allow destructive sin into my life. And not only did it hurt me, but guess what? It hurt the people that I loved, where I was so arrogant that I neglected my wife for 10 years of the ministry that God had called me to. For 10 years, I neglected my wife's needs. I was not there for her. I set her aside. I disregarded her, and I took her for granted. All in the name of ministry, she'll understand it's for God. And you know what? Because of that, I almost lost my family. My wife is as far gone as you can be. Bitter, hurt, isolated. And you know what her flesh was telling her? You just need to go. Your solution is to run. But thank God. (laughs) But God. Right? I couldn't fight the battle, but I could surrender to the one who could. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, yes, he is. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, though we're all called to be righteous, that doesn't mean that we always are. We are going to fail. But you see, when I look into my wife's eyes today, I don't see a monument of pain and loss and sadness. <laughs> I see love, contentment, and peace. And that's a monument that reminds me of my failure. But it also reminds me of my lessons learned. and It reminds me of the mercy of God who would fight for someone who does not deserve it. I did not deserve to get my family back. And yet God did it anyway. And can I tell you, these Israelites don't deserve victory over Ai, but you know what? He did it anyway. And when they look at these great heaps of stones, they will serve as reminders of God's victories. Because see, we all need reminders. We all do. Because if we don't have reminders, you know what we have a tendency to do? Forget. We talked about it before. We can pray for something for five years. God answers that prayer within two or three weeks. We're pretty much done thanking him. We're ready to move on. But listen to this warning that God gave in Deuteronomy 6.12. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, listen, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I set you free after 400 some years of bondage. But you guys will forget if you're not careful. And you know what? We can think back to our day of salvation Take it for granted. Forget all about it. Hey, I'm saved. I've always been saved. No, don't let that monument be forgotten. Make it in your life big. Remember it. Focus on it. Recognize the fact that God redeemed you. He loves you. The work that he's done in your life, it's been because of the love that he has for us. Listen, these two monuments would serve as memorials of God's victories. One by way of hard lessons and loss, and the other by way of faithful obedience. There will be both. Listen, they're both equally important not to be forgotten. When we consider the picture God's painting for us through this truth. Do you think that it's just mere coincidence that they both happen to be at AI? A picture of the flesh. For you see, we will experience both. In this life, in this fight, in this victories that we'll experience, there will be both. And what we have to understand is the fact that when God brings those victories, we need to take the time to raise up monuments in honor of him so that we'll never forget the work that he's done on our behalf. Listen, if it's salvation or restoration, whatever our story may be, man, we can't afford to forget about that. All of the victories in our life they come by way of God. He's the one that supplies it. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that brings true victory. And we have to ask ourselves, what are our monuments in our life? The victories God's brought. Do we remember them? Do we reverence God because of them? Or do we take them for granted? God's given us so much. Listen, if you've never thought about it, it's time to establish some monuments. Most people forget history. It's just who we are. So what do we do in our our culture? We build monuments to help people remember things that have happened. The day we're going to celebrate tomorrow, there are monuments all over our capital to that to help people not forget history. We all have a history. And if you're a born-again child of God, God has been good to you. And if you're lost, guess what? He's been good to you. He's reaching out to you right now. He died for you on the cross. He's ready to redeem you, to restore you. Listen, life with all of its challenges, it's going to come. And we cannot afford Forget about these victories because you know what? When life seems hopeless, and can I tell you, it will, no matter who you are, there will be days when you feel like I just want to quit. It is what it is. But in those days, we can look at those monuments and remember, remember, we can claim the victory. When we don't feel like victory is anywhere to be seen, when we feel defeated, I can look at the monument in my life. Listen, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There's a looking at that monument, reminds me of that truth. And can I tell you, listen, when life comes at you and it's overwhelming, when it comes at me, the monument I see in my wife's eyes, It gives me strength. It gives me resolve. It gives me confidence. Not in me, but in my Heavenly Father. Because what He did, I could not do. And whatever it is you're fighting that you just feel like you can't, you're right. You can't. But He can. He can do it. Listen. Listen. If your flesh is winning the battle today, it's not because you don't have access to the power to be victorious. You have access to it. All we need to do is learn to give it up to God. Listen, he has an incredible track record of success. It's just a matter of us stop fighting in our own strength and trust him. They stopped fighting in their own strength and they trusted God. And if we will start every day Bringing our old man to be hung on a tree. Walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You know what's amazing? God can bring the victory. We trust Him to do what we cannot do. But we have to be careful not to forget what He's done. What He can do. Don't forget what He's done. Hold on to the truth of what He has accomplished. Listen, because in order to accomplish the mission he's given us, to be holy, as he is holy he tells us, we have to resign in our hearts that we will give our lives to him. In crucifying our flesh we give our God, we give our life our body our will for God's purposes. That he would use this life for his glory. We saw Luke nine twenty-three about the taking of the cross daily. But verse nine twenty four says this, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He says if you focus on just your flesh, you're going to miss out on what God created you for. But if you will surrender that flesh to God, he will use it in a way that you cannot possibly imagine. And listen, if you're saved by grace through faith today, listen Huh. You're a new creature. You are a new man. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. But it says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen. What we've seen pictured for us and what we've heard from our Savior today is that the old man must die. The Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to end his life. The question is, will we surrender him? It's up to us. The old man must die. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given us today. And Lord, I know that today may have been a hard message to receive, but God, the truths are so wonderful. God, help us. Help us, Lord, to surrender this flesh. Help us, God, to submit ourselves to your will, to just surrender and submit to what it is you have for this life. And Lord, use these lives for your great glory, please. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who may be struggling right now. They're in the midst of the fight. And Lord, they are battling with all their strength, and they feel hopeless, frustrated, angry, and scared. And God, I know that you're there with them. And I pray, Father, that you'd help them to get their eyes on you, to take that flesh that's trying to fight and, Lord, surrender it to your will. God, may you kill the old man within us. Lord, help us, Father, to see you for who you are, to see us for who we are, and realize how utterly dependent we must be in order to live this life and experience your victory. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. There's a lot of people that are religious. Let me just tell you, our world is filled with them. They know God. They know about God. But they don't walk with him. They don't know him personally because they've never received him as their savior. And let me tell you this. If you're here today and you say, look, you know what? I I, I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I go back to a date and a time. This is not about a date and a time. There would be a change in your life. The Bible says that you are born again you went from who you are to who you became through the influence of the body of the influence of Christ. And I'm telling you right now, if you're here today, and you've never received him. You may believe you're saved, but I'm telling you there is a difference between thinking you're saved and knowing you're saved because the spirit of God dwells within your heart. And I'm telling you there's evidence of salvation. And if you're here today and you're struggling with it, I want you to know that you can call out to God today. No one is going to judge you, no one's going to think anything about you. We want you to walk with the Savior. He died for you, and He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. You're watching this recorded. You're watching this live. If you want to receive Christ, it's as simple as surrendering to Him. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It won't be magic words or or any kind of ceremony that will do anything for you. It's your heart surrendered to the Savior. As He calls out to your heart, all you have to do is respond. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, Repeat after me in your heart and mind, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I understand that there's a penalty for my sin, that because of it, I'm separated from you. And Lord, I have struggled with this for years. I'm asking you right now to help me to see you the way you are, to recognize who I am and who it is I need to be. Lord, I surrender my heart to you. I understand that I'm a sinner, that you died for me on the cross because you love me. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to pour into my life, to fill my heart and save my soul. Lord, I thank you so much for saving me and having a purpose for my life. I pray you'll help me live for you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.